Wednesday, November the 7th, 2023. Let us gather together and experience the goodness of God. I'm Pastor Trey Comstock. We will begin with our scripture of the week, Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 12, and a piece by me entitled, The Religious Leaders Fashion Show. Then Pastor Emily and I will be joined by Pastor Robert Burke, Senior Pastor of the brand new Amarillo UMC, to talk about scripture and about what it's like leading a church start in the 21st century. But first, a reading from Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 12. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Therefore, do whatever they teach you and follow it. But do not do as they do, for they do not practice what they teach. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on the shoulders of others, but they themselves are unwilling to lift a finger to move them. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. They love to have the place of honor at banquets and the best seats in the synagogues and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have people call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all students. And call no one your father on earth, for you have one father, the one in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructor, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. All who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. There are two garments that I avoid wearing, if at all possible that if I do end up wearing them, I feel like I've lost a part of the game of life. Wetsuits and clergy robes. The wetsuit thing stems purely from my own vanity. To pull an obscure 2000s comedy reference, I may not be a fat man, but I am certainly made of shapes. A wetsuit has a powerful way of accentuating those shapes in a way that I find wildly unappealing. I look bad in a wetsuit. Also, you can only put them on by struggling into them, and then you have to struggle out of them because they suction onto your skin by design. Also, if you find yourself in a group of people all wearing wetsuits and helmets, you look like a bobsled team. Maybe that particular issue isn't a bad thing, but it doesn't match my uh, aesthetic goals. Not since my days as a seven-year-old playing Olympics on a particularly steep driveway in our neighborhood have I looked at my friends and desired to resemble four cold Scandinavian men all named Sven. The clergy robe thing stems from a related but more complicated set of factors. I fundamentally get the arguments why formal clergy robes still exist in the 21st century. Theologically, to wear robes places the authority on your office as pastor rather than on yourself as a Christian. You wear the uniform that says, this is a pastor, so that you can make clear that your ability to live into this calling comes from God choosing you rather than your particular skill at the Christian walk. You don't have to live in an endless cycle of needing to prove your authenticity, and in that way, perhaps, make the proceedings more about God. Also, particularly for female clergy, your body and your clothes choices come under less observation and thus less scrutiny by congregation members. One might think this happens less in the year of our Lord 2023, but ask any of my female colleagues and they all have horror stories. Robes handily avoid a lot of that. So, like the wetsuit issue, the problem lies with me. I don't feel like myself in clergy robes. It feels like a costume and an intention getting one at that. I grew up on stage wearing costumes. When I put on a costume, I seek to draw the audience's attention. I put on a performance. Your street clothes, in theater parlance, are what you change out of and back into after, not what you wear on stage. For me, wearing robes turns the whole thing into a performance. I take on the character for the moment, and then I change back into myself. It makes me feel inauthentic, so I'd rather be in my street clothes. On top of that, worship services are not like graduations where everyone else wears robes. 
Clergy robes deliberately, visually, set you apart. And for me, it feels like putting on an act of being super holy or holier than everyone else. For me personally, not for others generally. Clergy robes fall into the broad phylacteries and long fringe trap. Phylacteries, boxes containing scripture that get lashed to the body, and fringed shawls remain a part of Jewish worship to this day. The issue that Jesus takes up with the Pharisees is that they use their commitment to these practices to heap attention on themselves for their powerful and overt holiness. The issue lies not with the phylactery or fringe, but with the particular wearer of the phylactery or fringe. Jesus offers up humility as a key marker of holiness, and sets it off against a performance. Thus, humility becomes another one of those aspects of a godly life about motivation and not simple action. It involves interrogating why do we do something, not simply what do we do. For me, I feel closest to God when I lean into the fact that I'm just a punk kid from the suburbs who has maybe learned a thing or two along the way, and not someone with titles and robes. I can claim a lot of fancy things for myself, but deep down, I know that in doing so, I'm putting on a show. I separate myself from the rest of the body of Christ, rather than nestling in with everyone else. I feel the same temptation to spiritual grandeur as the Pharisees, and seek to push that away. Robes get wrapped up in that struggle and I embrace a more informal way of being. Avoiding the world of religious leaders' fashion shows probably isn't everyone's struggle. However, we live in an era where more and more and more of life exists for show. Clothes, parenting, daily living, morning routines, makeup techniques, the best moments of life, the worst moments of life, workouts, leisure activities, spirituality, and literally everything else within human life has been subsumed in the forever on stage, forever online life of social media. Turning our faith life into another performance for followers to see, and thus think well of us, stands as a real temptation. Jesus' words hold a powerful truth that us, and our modern age, need desperately to hear. From Matthew chapter 23, verses 11 and 12. Greatest among you will be your servant, and all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. So, as you heard in the piece, and, and the, the sermon I did on this also went in a very similar direction. This is, like, trying to unpack, like, the performance, the performativity part of life. Um, and I may be mildly derailed in this whole conversation by the fact that I, you know, grew up as a theater kid. And so, like, you know, when you, when you, when you grow up in theater and when you go to school for theater, they talk about that, like, every aspect of life has a certain amount of performance to it, right? And so this conversation around, like, around showy religiosity is fundamentally, to me, this conversation about where does the performance end and something genuine begin or something genuinely troubling begin? Because to a certain extent, we're supposed to be, you know, in public being faithful, right? Jesus is saying this to a crowd. So simply doing God stuff for an audience is not the problem. Jesus is at that very moment doing God stuff for an audience. And so it gets at the much harder to tease out and much more difficult to bullet point D. It gets down to core motivation of why are you doing this thing, not what is it that you are actually doing? Like a lot of these things, it cannot, it does not boil down to a simple list. Definitely do this. Definitely don't do that. Because so much of it is, why are you doing this versus why are you doing that? I had a conversation sort of around this this Sunday while we were all getting ready for church um, because we had the conversation sort of about the, your Sunday best, mm -hmm. putting on your Sunday best, um, and, and why do we do that? 
and you know why do we have pretty things in the sanctuary and why do we you know have our phylacteries and our fringes as the the scripture brought up um but you know it was a good conversation about well we you know we do want to dress well for worship um yep. but not for the other people that are there i mean who is who is actually our audience right um who are we dressing to impress or are we dressing to prepare ourselves for this time that is set apart on Sunday morning that we have given to go and to worship God together. Um, so it, it's, again, it's that core motivation of, of why are you dressing the way you're dressing? Why are we doing the things we're doing on Sunday morning? Is it to put on a show um, or is it to go and truly be in worship for for our audience of one, or 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 in the case of dressing up for worship or dressing, t- you know, I, I I pretty much wear a slightly tucked in version of what I wear every day to worship, in part to make a different point um, about you know this this being a space where everyone can feel welcome and not everyone has a Sunday best. But even I have my own kind of pregame routine um, that is different on a Sunday morning um, than is during the week. So, for instance, I actually it's very very specifically, I trim my beard on only on Sunday morning, right? From Sunday to Sunday, I don't mess with it, right? Other than I wash it. Um, but on Sunday morning, that is the one day a week where I trim my beard, I clean up my neck, I, you know, for, because for me, it is part of getting into the game. I, you know, I, I doubt anyone else has ever noticed this, but this is part of my, like, my pregame routine, of preparing for worship as, you know, to steal a line for the Passover, right? What makes this day different from other days, right? And so if the dressing up is a way to set this time apart for you or to lend, like, as an act of devotion, okay, same as wearing a phylactery, wearing a prayer shawl, right? All of these can be simply acts of devotion that set for you this time is different from other time. This is special time. Cool. Fantastic. But are we just going to the Viennese opera too? Are we just seen? going to the are we just going to the Viennese <laughs> opera to be seen? Is church and and again, I, I in the sermon I, I can actually come down like actually who cares about the Viennese opera, right? Like or theater in general, right? Like who cares if that's where you want to show up and this is about the fun is actually about showing off your outfit and not about attending the play. I'll tell you part of why I go to the Renaissance Festival is cuz I have a really awesome Renaissance fair costume. I have uh, I have my it's actually the most expensive set of clothes that I own. Um I have a Louis the 14th era style um, Musketeers costume um, that is embroidered in velvet. It is, mwah, I love it. And part of why <laughs> I go to the Renaissance Festival is not to watch the jousting. It's essentially the same show every year. I'm told it's not. So, it, I go to the Renaissance Festival for the turkey legs. Right, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, you go for the turkey legs. My son, I think, goes for the show. I go so I can wear my costume, right? I am, I am the Viennese opera pit, you know, uh, you know, uh, attendee. But for the Renaissance Festival, and I have invested. I go to the people watch, so I'm the person right. in the audience watching yeah. the people in the box. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> right? And, and, like, and I, I go to look at the costumes that others are wearing. Okay, so y'all are much younger than I am, but <laughs> the, that Renaissance Festival, you're talking about the one up in Magnolia, right? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. Tierra, Texas, the, yeah, the yeah, Texas Mission, Renaissance. Texas. Yeah, I have been there since the '80s, wow. and I've attended those things since the '80s, and actually '84 on up, and that that thing has changed over yeah. the years. It used to be truly a Renaissance festival where everybody would talk into the old English yeah. language or whatever else. And and it was truly, a, a, I mean, they would come for that purpose. And then it started morphing into something else. And uh, and, and I guess COVID kind of shut it down, didn't it? No. So uh, I, I, for only for one year, because I think I only I only missed one year. I did not go in 2020, um, but I was back in 2021 and we went last year. Um, and so... That, at least that's my memory. Um, because, yeah, by 2021, we had gotten... Anyways, yes. Um, so I, the point I like to make about the Renaissance Festival, this is unrelated, is that my costume is actually from the Renaissance. So it's Louis Fourteenth. <laughs> so it's actually yeah. from the Renaissance, not yeah. the Middle Ages, right? Like, when we th- most of what, like, right. you think of, like, oh, yeah, King Arthur and jousting. 
that was the Middle Ages. That was not the Renaissance. Yeah, that's <laughs> this is not the most relevant fact here, but... Yeah. Uh, but, people, but it's like what you were talking about before. People come to... They want to dress up. It's yeah. like it's something where they get a chance to be something different. Yeah. And so they and, are able to transport themselves into a, another time according to them. Right. Mm-hmm. And may not be right. Well, and I think of it as, you know, as a person who has, again, invested, invested many hundreds of dollars into his costume. I think of that we are adding to the we as the, the cost, you know, the cosplayers are adding to the atmosphere for other folks. Right. Because if only the paid staff are dressed up. It, it's you're much less transported into this mystical land. And so in that, in all of that, right? Like, cool. I have not missed the point of the Renaissance Festival. Um, I, I think I'm embracing the point of the Renaissance Festival, or at least an, an appropriate way of interacting with it, right? So this is perhaps not about, Jesus is perhaps not talking about the Renaissance Festival. I'm not sure Jesus cares. <laughs> Jesus is talking about, are we approaching our faith life like we are going to the, like we are a cosplayer at the Renaissance Festival, that we are not living our lives as Christians or as people of God, because he's specifically going after the Pharisees with this. Are we cosplaying people of God so that people will look at us and go, person of God, that's great. Person of God. Yeah, so, okay, so I wear my robe. Emily mm-hmm. and I were talking about this earlier today. I wear my robe on very specific times. Yeah. And it's when I'm giving the sacraments, and that's about it. The rest of the time, the discussion, like, I wore jeans on Sunday. And it's like, whoa, jeans, you know. Um, no one said anything, but right. in previous churches I've had before, you know, someone said a few things about that. But, you know, it becomes, okay, well, here's Robert preaching. Here's Robert Relatable and then well, all of a sudden now Robert's got a robe on. What's different yeah. about that? And why why is today different yep. than all the other days? And yeah. um and I think that and I do that for the purpose of this is where we get to uh the gift of grace from God uh through our sacraments. Well, th- so, this is and so I I have uh I who just wrote this whole piece about how I hate them and I do. Um I will sometimes wear them on Easter to make a very similar point. Right. Christmas has a way better marketing department, but Easter is the most important day of the year. Uh, Fundamentally, right. The actual claim of Christianity is that Easter is the most important day of the year. It's great that Jesus lived and that's part of the point, but the actual point is that he died and rose again. Right. And so I have in other contexts worn my robes, which I call my party frock. I have worn my party frock uh, on Easter. We're like two, you know, I, I, you know, and I didn't pull this for my ordination, right? The rules for ordination say you show up in your party frock. And guess what? I showed up in my party frock because this is a thing that had real weight to it. But on the daily, when I'm the only person going to the robe party, it really starts to feel, again, this is internally to me, but starts to feel like the performance of religiosity rather than any religiosity that I myself actually have. Trey, let me ask you this. Um, how about uh, we were also discussing about, you know, when I first came here, well, what do I call you? Yeah, you know, sure. I just said, well, just call me Robert. Hey, you. Uh, yeah. They have a real hard time with that. Well, Pastor Robert or Reverend or whatever. And I said, I am just like you guys. Yeah. I uh, Just call me Robert. They had a hard time with that because of exactly what we're talking about in today's scripture is, you know, what are we, um, you know, how are we representing ourselves to to the people we are preaching to or who we're associating with and you know and if we're really wanting to do ministry the way god intended us to do ministry it would be on their level right where they're at and um when we put on these you know these cloaks or whatever else we we are not representing the way that god god wanted us to i think there are there is forever these competing instincts, particularly in the Christian mind, of the fact that we really, really, really want to find ways to honor God, to show devotion, to show how serious 
we are sometimes we try to like depict the grandeur of this is how you end up with cathedrals right like you want to depict the grandeur of god in the middle ages what do you do you build a gothic cathedral right and that is not inherently a bad instinct but if you actually read the word of god it is as you're saying very much particularly the new testament very much a ground level with the people that you know by the end of the second temple where herod has kicked the equivalent of billions of dollars um in you know thousands and thousands and thousands of denarii into building the temple up grand to show just how jewish he is even though he's working with the romans right like it had all gotten real fancy and real formal and then the pharisees who themselves their instincts aren't bad hey let's follow the law so well that we don't go into exile again cool couldn't agree more not possible but go for it buddy they then want to be respected. What The sense you get from this passage, right, is they then want to be respected for how well they're doing the law. I'm doing the law so well, I can teach you about the law. You should call me teacher, because I teach you the law. A rabbi. Rabbi. Mm-hmm. And that's where, like, and so we have these, like, neither of these instincts are bad, right? We, we should seek to honor God. And, and if you're an architect, you should honor God with your architecture. And if you're, a, you know, a designer of vestments, design your vestments, right? Yes. But it still Phylacteries gets... and fringes still have their place in right. the reverence of God. But it does still speak to the motivation behind. Is it because you want the better banquet seats or is it because you are actually trying to show reverence to but God? I, but I also think part of it that Jesus gets at is these folks are demanding this of others, right? Mm -hmm. If someone else wants to call you pastor, Lord knows I don't correct them, right? Um, I get called pastor Trey at least 50% of the time. I get called, hey, you, the other 50%. I generally speaking respond to both, (laughs) right? Um, And maybe this helps when you're the, you know, 37-year-old hipster. They go, they really wonder less what do they call you. They generally just call you, hey, you. Um, And that... I think it's one thing to get called this as you become, in the words of the theologian Charles Taylor, you become yourself a charged object, right? Like you become yourself like part of the furniture. You're like the altar. You're like the, you know, you're the, you're like the baptismal or the altar, right? You are not human. You are object you are worship furniture and the same way that like we're very careful how we decorate the altar we're very careful what we call the human furniture of worship uh cool right so it's one thing if that's what they call you it's another thing to not respond to any other name but rabbi well it's kind of it's kind of like this trey you and i have a lot of preaching similarities that i've learned through emily that you like to walk around Mm -hmm. and things but let me tell you what i heard uh, from congregants just just on Sunday as a matter of fact I was confined to my pulpit I felt like a caged animal yeah. behind <laughs> my pulpit I like to move around a lot and um, and I had our lay leader come up to me and say hey Robert uh, why were you confined to your pulpit and I and I said well my microphone wasn't working or something and she goes well we need to get that fixed because yeah. you're so much more relatable yeah. when you come down and talk with us because and here here it is you become one of us. Right. You're not yes. set apart. Uh, you become one of us. You're relatable now. Um, and also you're, you're a lot more spontaneous too during that time. And, um, and when we can humble ourselves that way and not feel like we are, and this is just the way I felt, and similar to like the way I'd set up my desk, I set up my desk where it's open, where I'm not behinding my desk, that there's some kind of barrier between me and, and whoever it is sitting on the other side of it. I want to be part of the family that, I, you know, that I'm appointed to, yeah. not set apart from them. And so that was rather interesting that you brought that up that you become part of the furniture. I think when we're stuck behind the pulpit, I feel like I'm part of the furniture. No, but you literally <laughs> are. Like, I think yeah. Charles Taylor would not put it this way, but the way I've always read that is, yeah. So, but, so that, this is also a question of models, right? Like, Charles Taylor is actually saying, like, in some ways, it may not be such a bad thing. This is the argument for clergy robes. This is why clergy robes and pulpits and all of that remain a thing, 
um, in a world that is way over them because there is, in a way, value in just becoming part of the furniture because then you can, you are not required to constantly prove your authenticity as pastor and Christian. And I, and I hear that, but I feel so ingenuine when I put on the party frock and stand behind the giant wooden object. I feel so put on a pedestal that I have no business being on that for me, I've got to step down off of it. Yeah. Right. And I think we do a lot of pastors a disservice when we put them all up on pedestals as not just beacons of morality, but then it's a whole lot easier to fall off of a pedestal than to be a real human being with real human being problems and real human being life that happens to you. Um, you know, we've talked about before how it's, it's so hard, but it's it's much better to say, you know, I, I don't like it when people say, well, I used to be a sinner. Oh, right? yeah. Well, uh-huh. no, 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 yeah. no. I used to be that way, but now I'm a pastor, so it's okay now. Well, no, no, I, I am still a sinner. God's right. still working on me. God's not finished with me yet. Thank God that I am, this is not the finished version of me, um, that I still have room to grow. The, um, uh, and, the, the and, 2000s era comedian, um, the late Mitch Hedberg, uh, he was talking about a specific kind of sinning, um, but he had a line. Um, I used to do drugs. I still do. I used to too, right? Like I used to be a sinner. I still am, still, still but am, I used but to too. I used to too. <laughs> yeah, like I just exactly. So God, maybe we just don't put grace, pastors right? up there, right? Exactly, exactly. On towards perfection. That's right. And, That's right. And I, and I, you know, I I think about the like, the you know the kind of wild swings. Right. And in some way we did, um, for those of you who listened to last week's show, if you haven't, I highly recommend it. Uh, we looked, uh, we talked about the movie Jesus Revolution. And you see this kind of tension in it where the church, especially to folks who are not interested, don't know that they're interested in church or might be interested in church if only they thought they could feel comfortable there. Sometimes the real elevated stuff can feel like a barrier to entry. Mm-hmm. At the same time, we've got to find there is, I think, a healthy tension in how do we in this very informal world that I am part of, you know, I have been part of trying to create for, you know, the since I was a teenager, which is rapidly, as Emily will remind me, coming up on 30 years ago, um, <laughs> as we as you know, as she as she likes to put it, as we are getting close to 40. Pushing uh, 40. Pushing 40. There you go. There's he hates term. it when I say that. I hate it. Well, you're nine months older than me. And so as, as comes up on every week, uh, you're nine months older than me. And so you are much clo- currently so much closer to 40 than I am. Uh, yeah. um, but how do we find how do we project reverence in a way that doesn't then feel look at me self-righteous and and doesn't create barriers for people to entrance because we do want people to come and enter into this sacred space with us. It's one of the reasons that I love doing worship in a space that is outside of the norm. So like when I lived in Galveston, we would do worship on the beach. Um, Many churches I've done, you know, worship out in a pumpkin patch. We did, we did people, worship in the basement. Exactly. Worship in a basement. Um, because for many that will not walk into a sanctuary because they feel like they don't belong there. They don't have the clothes to go there. They don't know the etiquette there. They don't know the rules. They don't know the language. It's like walking into a foreign, yeah. you know, country to walk into a sanctuary, but they can walk into a pumpkin patch. They can walk into a basement. They can walk into a church home um, or the home of someone who's just doing a life group or a family group together. And then they can participate in the sacred things of God that have been brought to them where they are and met where they are. Well, I also think about when we were the, the hippies that arrived at Grace Church, the people of the second chance. One of the things that I did very early on is make communion feel more liturgical, not less. And I think this right. is to your point, Robert, right? Like um, you use deploy clergy robes specifically to make the theological point about the nature of the sacrament. I deploy, I deploy formal language 
in a very similar way, right? My sermons are based on my background in improv comedy, um, not, you know, any sense of censoriousness. Uh, But when it comes to the sacrament, I am either reading the liturgy straight or have memorized the liturgy, and so it becomes an elevated moment. But I think some of it is you have that texture of not every moment is 100% elevation, and... I am hopefully not becoming an elevated person. I am trying a person trying to elevate this moment. And whatever that looks like in your life and ministry is going to look different. I think it's for some folks, they feel like by wearing the robes, they are elevating the moment and not themselves. It's my own hangups that make robes feel like I'm elevating myself because it just feel so wildly inauthentic. It all feels ridiculous. Um but that, I think that is, the, you know, if, if we try to tease out the distinctions, I think that's a big part of it. But what about, uh, what, the way it sounds to me is, is that it's ambiance. Yeah. We're creating an ambiance for whatever it is. I mean, we're looking back at the scripture again, and, and we're looking at those who will be, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I think we really get the heart, get to the heart of this, this scripture and what, what, what Jesus is trying to say. And, and, um, and when we create an ap- an atmosphere, an ambiance of, um, uh, of reverence, um, yeah. at the appropriate time, I think that we can, uh, have more effective worship. Um, but, uh, most times if you create that kind of ambiance all the time, people will not connect. Yeah. Or again, like if you are, Oh, I always wear robes so that I can feel and look pastoral. Great. Now you're exalting yourself. Right. right. Yeah. Or... And yeah, exactly. And 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 you know what's funny is because uh there are churches that expect their pastors to wear robes every uh-huh. Sunday for that purpose. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Sure. And and I, I again, I I can't I you know, I can't deal, right? Like I just I'm you know, I'll just make the I just just make those people angry. Um but I, so one of, one of the most effective ministries we had is is a youth ministry at yeah. camp where everybody yeah. shows up in their shorts and t-shirts yeah. and, uh-huh. you know. turns out. But <laughs> to the flip side of that, this is the story I told um in the sermon was uh, so I, when I went to the Wailing Wall, the East Wall of the temple uh in Jerusalem, I wandered my way into a room I probably shouldn't have been in. I have no idea if I was supposed to be there or not. The door was open, and so I just walked in. And in that room was um, a bunch of, you know, older um, Orthodox Jewish men uh, worshiping with long fringes, with phylacteries, with huge beards, with cool hats. Um, And they're doing all – I don't know if they were demanding to be called rabbi – I. Don't speak Hebrew. Uh, But they were doing a lot of these actions, and it felt incredibly worshipful because they're just in this room that I definitely shouldn't have been in just having this moment of worship. And it was a reminder of like, so for them in that moment, God was who was being exalted. It was very clearly like they were not being exalted. The issue is not with the phylactery. It is with the wearer of the phylactery. Um, I have enjoyed this week's scripture because I can say the word phylactery as often as possible. And just <laughs> how often does that come up? This is as good a place as, as any uh, to uh, uh, to close out our discussion of scripture. Um, and uh, we will be back on the other side of this very cool theme music. Um, um, to uh, talk to um, our dear friend Robert um, about life at Amarillo UMC. Um, so we'll see you after the break. And we're back with a segment that we call How to Restart a Church, where well, it turns out uh, we are going to be talking to someone who is involved in literally doing that is in starting, you know, a big part of working with a new church start um, up in Amarillo, Texas, one that we've talked about on the show before uh, when they when they made the news. And uh, this is also a church where uh, Pastor Emily works, um, where the, her other job is there. And so, uh, you know, uh, Robert, I want you to kind of give us before I, I steal all the all the words, uh, give us kind of the, give us the pitch, like, you know, who y'all are and, and where y'all come from. 
Uh, we are a church in Amarillo that comes out of disaffiliation. Um, every one of the churches in Amarillo have, has elected to disaffiliate and uh, to go global Methodist church. And so uh, we have a, a parishioner who was a, a ordained elder, uh, 83 years old, wow. that decided that she did not want to be in a city where there's no United Methodist presence. Yeah. And so she decided that she would uh, work with some of the other pastors, Lane Boyd and and some of the other people to uh, create uh, United Methodist Presence here in Amarillo uh, when there was a void of that. Uh, we just finally had three, right, Emily, of uh, the last three churches disaffiliated in our special called conference, uh, not not too, just last month. And so we are the only United Methodist Church in Amarillo at this time. Uh, so... I came on board after all of the hard work was sure. done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I got <laughs> sure. to come on and, and be able to uh, to evaluate our church, see what's necessary, what what needs to be put in place. Uh, all of these things uh, I am gifted in because I did that for 20 years as a band director um, where I had to pull all of these different talents together and create something that's pleasing to listen to. Uh, and now God, I guess, has called me to pull all of these gifts from yeah. all of these wonderful people that come together here in Amarillo to uh, create uh, a body of Christ here in, in, in this place. So so that's where I came on board. Um, but literally, there was nothing in place. I mean, only thing we had was a leadership board. And that wasn't elected in until probably a month before I came on board. So wow. we are brand new. Brand spanking new. <laughs> they are, yeah. Yes. And so coming into that situation, being a pastor, you have to listen very closely to people and uh, listening for what they want, listening to what they hope to be, uh, where they've come from, the hurt that they've come from, um, uh, their, their pain and disaffiliation, um, where we hope that we want to worship. We're sharing a space with uh, St. Luke Presbyterian Church here in Amarillo on Bell Street and um, in learning how we get along with them too in an ecumenical setting. And so it's uh, it takes a lot of listening and, and a, lot of, um, a lot of learning. And so I think I spent most of my time here in the first 100 days listening to people. And, um, and finally, I guess at some point I had to uh, help our church move forward in organization. Um, one of the benefits of being new is you can create your church yeah. in any way that you want it to be. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. You don't have to follow the same uh, years and years of tradition. You can begin again and discover who you want to be. Unfortunately, with that, though, is the is when you have in, in, in this in this particular church, we have a superstar board comes from years and years of Methodist tradition at a large church setting. Um, and sometimes we want to create that again. Uh, and I have to keep reminding them that we can be whoever we want to be. And so the first things that we had to do is, number one, figure out what our values are. Yeah. And, and then see, okay, what, what, what do we want our mission statement to be? And then what is the vision that we want to have for our church here in Amarillo? So uh, putting that on their plate and allowing them to kind of uh, figure that out has been really fun to watch. Um, and on top of that, try to figure out how we're going to follow the Methodist tradition of engaging our uh, mission field and, and then... Uh, bringing them together and, and making them part of our family, uh, being relatable to them, uh, and then equipping them. Sorry, my phone just went off. Equipping them and uh, and then sending them forth to start the cycle again. Yeah. Uh, all of this is uh, what I've been doing for the last 110 days since I've been here. And it's really been quite awesome because out of this came um, this wonderful woman, Linda Pittner, who uh, who's worked in um, uh, 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 she's been working in nonprofit organizations, creating um, creating these strategic action plans for them to move forward. And so she took all of that stuff that I was talking to them about and put it into 
uh, a wonderful action plan where she polled the congregation. She she polled um, she polled all of the leadership and tried to figure out all of these things. And we created this wonderful strategic action plan where we can follow with 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 uh, with groups of people, teams of people in all categories. And it's really neat to watch because it was all came it all came from them. It was all things that they wanted to do. And you don't get a chance to do that yeah, in an existing yeah, church. Absolutely. <laughs> There's absolutely. no way. And it's so exciting to watch and yeah. to see that and to be part of that. And and I feel like sometimes at this particular church that I just tell them, hey, we want to go this way. And then they take the wheel and yeah. they go with it. It's really quite awesome to watch and be part of. So, so it is this, neat to see ahead, that. Yeah. It's neat to see that the lay leadership is really because we are a lay driven denomination, or yeah. we're supposed to be a lay driven denomination, and and we sometimes forget that because of the phylacteries and fringes and the party frocks that we wear as That's pastors. Right. Um, right. But it's but it's good to see when the lay leadership steps up and takes ownership of ministry and and runs with it when they're empowered to do so. Yeah, and Emily's exactly right, because, I mean, a lot of these people come from a church um, where all of these leaders are hired people. Yeah. Uh (laughs) And and, and here, um, it's all laity. Right. Laity led. (laughs) And one of the things our district superintendent, Felicia Hopkins, told us was, um, Robert, you have lay leaders who will take charge on this. Just lead them in the direction. Let lay leaders lead. And I said... Hey, that's right up my alley. <laughs> yeah. So oh, that, that's yes. amazing. So in this in this world where a, a lot of churches are closing, right? That every year more churches close than open. What what have you seen, you know, kind of 110 days into your, your life as a church planner? Um, what are the challenges, the specific challenges of launching a church? Um, and, and trying to grow a church from, you know, nothing to something in the year of our Lord, 2023. Mm, Yeah. Good question. The first, it comes down to, um, well, nailing down our finances, you know, it all comes down to sometimes finances and, and how, how we can get anything done. And, um, so fortunately we have a conference where finances, um, are given to us, yeah, like yeah, my that's, salary, that's for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, very, very helpful. And that that gets us running. I think Emily's salary, Emily's salary is covered by that and our our um, our office manager's salary. But, uh, but yeah, finances, unfortunately, you know, it's always a tough topic, but finances, finances are always the, the hard part. The second hard part is learning our place in an urban yeah. environment and um, discovering who we are in that and how our church is going to serve in that. Um, you know, a lot of churches I've seen nowadays, it's uh, being consumerisms of religion and just coming and partaking. And I'll always like to use in my sermons that uh, people put their little church in a box. And then after Sunday, they put that box up on the shelf. And then next Sunday, they take that box back down again, open it. And that's church. And, and um, and I call that consumerism and trying to uh, have um, us not having like a, I guess Emily used this term, um, uh, a, uh, what do you call it? A concert, <laughs> Emily? Jesus concert. Jesus, Jesus concert. Yes. Yeah. Have you. the Jesus concert with all the lights and lasers. The laser light show. Yes. Yeah, the laser yes. light show. And, and then uh, I, I just don't think that nowadays that is what people are after. I think they're, I think they're past that or done with that. Um, but then be able to attract people to want that traditional um, worship style um, is hard right now because um, going out and recruiting and going out and, and even even trying to uh, uh, come up with some kind of uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for um, just ways to be able to communicate what who we are and yeah. how we're serving this whether that be an advertisement for newspapers or on TV or whatever else, how to get our Facebook out about it's like white noise right now. Yeah. Sure. Anything that you, anything that you put out there right now, um, it's exactly what it is. So I think that's the struggle here in Amarillo is there's so many different churches here, so many different ways to worship and what is going to set us apart from the others, what is going to attract people to our church? 
Um, and then with us sharing a facilities with somebody else, so we don't have that identity ourselves yet because our, our identity is in our location. Right. And then trying to get our church people to understand that our identity does not revolve around our building. Our identity revolves around the body of Christ. Um, all of this plays into this, yeah. but I, as a pastor, would love to have my own pulpit. <laughs> you yeah. know, I would love to have a, a place where we can say, this is Amarillo United Methodist Church. Come to us here. This is our building, but at the same time, reach out of our walls. And how does that happen exactly? And, well, and Trey, it, you yeah, and I it, actually it, talked about that yeah. in our conversations before. Well, it's a lot of what, you know, this part of the show has ended up being about is I think there is the kind of, you know, the threefold or how I think about it often is a threefold question. Right. And one of it is like, how do we live long enough to thrive? Yes. You know, this is, you know, I, I had we were having some relatively difficult discussion um, in a board meeting once um, and someone put a point in question. How are we going to do what are we And I looked at it and went. Well, we gotta live that long, right? So there is that. There is just the you know the you know the boring or certainly the unsexy. Um, how do you, how, how do you live, right? And this is the like you know uh, we don't do this through money, but churches sure do chew through money. Um, even efficiently run churches sure do sure do chew through money. So there's that question of like just how do we live that long? There is that question of who are we going to be, right? Who is this church? Who is God calling? You know, phrase it theologically. Like who is God calling us to be? And then there is, and in some ways, that middle question is the question we are most set up for, right? Because we can we can discern who God wants us to be. Question one, often real hard. Question two is hard, but feel like that always feels feasible to me. Of of as long as we are being intentionally listening and really bringing in folks together to talk about it, like I think you can arrive at that. The question three, and I think you really touch on that, is uh, if a tree falls in the forest, no one's there to hear it, doesn't even make a sound. Uh, you can have the best vision on earth for ministry. And I suspect the church, some of the churches with the most amazing visions for ministry, no one knows about them. Because how do you break through the noise of, you know, for us, here at Servants of Christ, you can almost see Joel Osteen's shop from, certainly if I would, I can't actually climb up the top of our steeple, that's not how that building works. But if were I to, were I, I to. basketball games in that building. So did I. When I was a kid. Uh, I watched Hakeem Olajuwon win championship there once. It was a very <laughs> religious moment for me as an eight-year-old. Um, anyways, I digress. But like, if I climbed up the steeple of our church, I could see Joel Osteen's shop from here, right? Yeah. How do How do you break through and, you know, the how do you survive is an open question, but the, it is not the hardest question. The hardest question is how do we – some churches it is, well, no, they're not doing anything. And so, uh, okay, that's obviously not going to work. But even for a church that wants to break through, that yeah. wants to, that has the will, that has people wanting to get out there – the media landscape, the church landscape, all of it is so crowded that it can be, yeah, it's extremely difficult. And I think that way Amarello wants to do that, Trey, and that's a very, very good point. And one of that, you made two really good points in particular. One was about where God is leading us to. Yeah, that I helps. Think, I think sometimes, sometimes we want to go where we want to go and, you know, not necessarily where God wants to go. Uh, but we, but the second point, and I think the first point, or that second point that you made was absolutely right on the money. The third point uh, is breaking through the noise. Yeah. And right now, the noise in Amarillo is this um, a hardcore Christianity and and uh, this wrath of God. Yeah, thing, sure. Yeah. Instead of looking at the love of God and, and love through through our ministries, and one of the things I try to help our church see among themselves i wanted to create a comfortable environment to come and worship someplace where they feel love someplace where they feel a part of not alienated against mm. um and i think that through those through that i think that they discovered what their vision wants to be and and also what their mission statement is and, and i'll read it to you uh, our vision is is Amarillo United Methodist Church inspire, aspires to reflect God's kingdom on earth 
as a safe, joyful, spiritual home yeah. for all people. And, and I really, we really want to try to create that home environment here in Amarillo through our church. Our home, obviously, I mean, the living room obviously is our sanctuary, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but the kitchen is where all the action happens. And that's where these small <laughs> groups start coming in. And I think that, and that's what I'm trying to get us to see. And I think they're hearing that message very clearly and because they responded with this strategic action plan to cover just that. And like I said, they're superstars. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's what they aspire to be. Um, and I think that we discovered what our mission is, and I'll read that to you. And Please. it is in, in keeping with the heritage. And they really wanted to touch on that. They really wanted to get to the heritage. That's in our book of Discipline 120 about our mission statement to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world through our local ministries, right? Um and so our mission statement is in keeping with the heritage of the United Methodist Church, uh, Amarillo United Methodist Church reaches and serves all people with love and grace through open hearts, open minds, and open doors. And they really wanted to capture, I think, what the United Methodist Church attended to be before all of this mess happened. Sure. Yeah. Before it, you know, there. There, there's always this, and I, you know, we talk about this in kind of really broad strokes often, but there really does seem this like this, like oscillation between like missional energy and calcification that is just ongoing throughout Christian history, right? Just ping pong, ping pong, you know, missional action calcifies, and then we need to get pulled back to missional action. And as a kind of a new church birthed out of a lot of other churches, but now this new thing, y'all have this really amazing opportunity um, to say, okay, we have nothing to calcify. So how do we live into this missional action piece? You know, it's interesting that um, I was so naive, Trey. I, I began ministry my candidacy uh, only eight years ago. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So it wasn't long ago that I was sitting in the pews and um and it was funny, I went to my first annual conference and I was just so joy filled and I was like, wow, this is so wonderful. We get to serve God and now I get to be this pastor and, you know, of this local church and how awesome it is. But I was sensing this, this, um, this darkness that was within our conference of, of some kind of disagreement and, and, and people would come up to the microphone and, and there was this underlying argument yeah. and tension that was there. And I, I, I was naive. I had no idea what it was. I just thought it was people being people. I mean, I had students that acted that way all the time. Yeah, sure. you know, yeah, clarinet yeah. players fighting clarinet players, you know, because yeah. they wanted the first year spot. You know, I just <laughs> thought that. I was so naive, right? Um, and then each year, that tension seemed to get more and more and more. And I guess that was with the, that, that um, um, uh, what was it, that, that movement uh, that led to all of this. Um, yeah. Uh, so, so as I started getting more and more less naive, yeah. and more, I, I started seeing that, and then it finally hit me that okay, these people are arguing about something, something a lot more than just petty differences. This is something that you know could be catastrophic to our denomination, and there it was it. It, it happened, and um, so I guess what the point of that is is that. I came in with the idea that I wanted to serve God and, and, and to create those environments within the church of, of a loving environment. And here is this underlying tone of uh, whatever it is that's going on with that's dividing our denomination. Um, and I just couldn't understand um, why we're so focused on something else besides our ministries in our local churches. I, did, it just, it, it, I guess I was just naive. Um, why are we focused so much on this when we can be focusing on the ministries right here in our own church? But I also think, uh, to your point, I so I uh, was in Orlando, Florida, back beginning of this year. Um, I had an opportunity to learn from some theme park executives. And I, this theme park executive from uh, Universal um, was talking about, like, he was also a Christian member of uh, St. Luke's United Methodist Church there in Orlando that does amazing stuff uh, with the theme park community, with the arts community there in Orlando. Anyways, he was talking to us about, like, how do theme parks stay relevant to the world? 
And he was probably quoting some business author that I have not read. But one of the lines that he said to me that has stuck with me now for 10 months is never waste a good crisis. <laughs> right? Never waste a good crisis. Right? And it, it, this is not a man welcoming disaster. What he is oh, saying man. is. I like that. In those – yeah, I, yeah I, you know, I was about to start Googling where did I hear that because as I, as I was listening, it was just like, yeah, no, because what we have is this – we have, you know, the, the roots of this crisis are, are, are whatever yeah. they are. The point now, is – people bond, people bond through, through adversity. Through well, and also trauma. Through th- shared trauma, but also it is whether, whether it's a reset point you wanted to arrive at or not, it's a reset yeah. point. Right, uh, and, and that's so the way God works in our lives yeah. all the time. Well, that's you know, that, that's always my read of the the passage. The, the uh, Romans chapter eight is my favorite piece of scripture um, of of all. Right, I love this land. You know, as a person who suffered from depression my whole life, right, I love the thing that lands like nothing can separate you from the love of God. Right, but just a little bit before that, as Paul is building to that point, is the troubling part of chapter eight. That is, all things work together for your good. Right, yeah. like that's really hard to tease out and how i read that now thanks to uh this guy in orlando this theme park executive in orlando i now have a better way to put it which is god doesn't waste a crisis Mm -hmm. right that like however we arrived at this crisis god didn't you know god does not want to throw you into crisis but if you are in crisis god will give us the opportunity that this crisis not be a wasted experience And something really wonderful that did come out of this experience that is just really manifested at Amarillo UMC, Um, I've said it to my husband, I said it to a couple other people recently, was, you know, when I first joined uh, worship for this congregation, the thing that struck me about it, and I, I think I shared this with you, Trey, the first time I went there, I said, but everybody in the room was United Methodist on purpose. Yeah. Um, it wasn't by default. It wasn't because they had a good children's program because we didn't have a children's program at that point. It wasn't because of the pastor. It wasn't because of the programming. It wasn't because of anything. It wasn't because your grandparents went to that church because they didn't because it's brand new. This doesn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody I- that was there was there on purpose because they believed in United Methodist theology of open hearts, open minds, open doors. But even to, move that, but even to move that out of, of UNC specific context for a second, I think in that way, that is the most one of the most modern parts of Amarillo UMC, because what's dying to to my mind and to you know everything I look at is the church isn't dying, nominal Christianity is dying. The we go to church because it's the nice thing to do is what's dying, mm-hmm. and what it, it, it's not that nothing will be left, right? Because that's not how God works. What will be left, and what we're seeing is what's left, is the people who really want to be there, the yeah. folks who are finding life change, yeah. who are actually taking their faith seriously, they're who, after all of this turmoil, denominational or just arc of, you know, rise of secularism, what's dying is not the faith. What's dying is people who eh, feel neutral about being there. Now they just aren't here and so y'all have you know, and that way y'all have y'all are not just a brand new church but an incredibly modern one yes and, and you know what's funny is your what you just said matches our values yeah i mean we came up with our values here they are okay this is a, this is great i love this authenticity mm. uh sincerity and genuineness in yeah. a relationship with god i mean doesn't that like follow right with our scripture today but, I mean, and I think really- f- follows right with, like the like the every reform movement we talk about here, often comes back to can we get back to authentically doing this rather than performing the doing of it? You know, the three of us are are you know United Methodist pastors and therefore you know Wesleyan theologians. Um, I'm wearing a long sleeve shirt today, but I, you know I have my tattoo of Wesley on my left arm. I have you know Francis Asbury here. Uh, this was John Wesley's point: is he looked at the state of the Church of England circa you know 1730 and went, yeah, it's just a bunch of people going because they feel like they got to go and they want to get married and they want to get buried, but like people aren't taking this seriously what if we build an accountability structure by which you take this seriously that john wesley 
250 years ago, um, Jesus, going on 300 years ago, um, as we reached to the midpoint of this century, right? Like, was worried about this same question of what's passing away is the folks who just go to go and what will be left. And to me, that's the real hope in this unwasted crisis is what's left is people really feel like they, Oh no, I need to be here. Cause I need to be here. I need to be here. Cause I'm encountering God. I need to be here. Cause I understand the difference this is making in my life. Uh, to me, this is fundamentally uh, maybe a painful process, but there is that that shade of hope in it. And that's where you get your rock star leadership board and yeah. your rock star lay leaders that are running with this ministry is because that's those people that's what that they want. stayed. They're yeah, on fire, and, and, and it's wonderful. And they want to do what you just said. Sorry, Emily, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, um, but but it was like that's what they want to do, and they want to do it specifically through love, yeah, and care, mm-hmm. and, and 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 grace as a community of faith and i think that i think that that is what sets amarillo apart and what yeah. will separate us from the noise that that's um, in the crowded space that is here at amarillo because i don't think that that's the case uh around here and i think that i think it is in some of the churches but i think some people come to some of these larger churches just to disappear not come in a loving and yeah. caring and, and, a, and a community of faith. And I think that through COVID, uh, people are desperate for that. They're, yeah. they're lonely, they're depressed, they're, 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 they're wanting that connection. And I don't think that the days of the, the Jesus concert um, are what they're looking for nowadays. Uh, I think they're looking for that community of faith that, that loves and cares for them and welcomes them, encourages them uh, as they connect with God and each other. Um, so I think that's what separates Amarillo, and I hope that in the future that that's what's going to build us to move forward. And with Emily coming on board now and, and working together uh, through these uh, teams that we have, that maybe we can you know separate all of that stuff that we were talking about earlier and actually focus in on what God has for us here in this mission field. So I, I want to ask you as we, as we really start to think about the future. I want to ask kind of one more question and it's a little more esoteric, but I what, in your vision, what does that church look like 10 years from now? Right? If you think about who you want who you see this church becoming, who you want this church to become, what do you think that church looks like in 10 years? What do I aspire it to be or what sure. do I yeah. think what it do you, what, look like? What do, you aspire, what do you aspire for it to be, right? I would, re- love, I would love us to be, to be a, um, number one, a hub yeah. uh, for um, opportunities for everybody in this region to be able to come together as uh, through our group. Whether that's creating these uh, fresh expressions or, or Wesley Covenant groups or whatever that is, that Amarillo becomes kind of the center of all of that, pulling people together who want to be Methodist, who who want to share in our Wesleyan tradition through United Methodist Church denomination. But really, what I would love for us to be is is a church that matches the demographics of the community. Mm, yeah. uh, that no matter what size it is. Uh, I would love it to be big, you know. Sure. Who doesn't? Heck yeah. To be that, yeah. To be fiscally responsible, mainly. Um, but I want something so much more than that. I want us to be, I want our congregation to match not only just the social economics, but also, you know, ethnically um, uh, of age and, and all of those demographics. I would love for us to be a family where we can come together with all of those demographics, no matter what that looks like. I would love for us to have our own building uh, and a, a building that will attract people yeah. without limiting us to that yeah. building. Um, to give you that, to give you that hub, to give you that single point where you become easy to find. Right, a good building yes. uh, can be uh, a, a a a focal point, but doesn't have to be the be all end all. Um, a bad building, I will tell you, can become an albatross. It sure can. Yes. <laughs> As I'm but most sitting in my friend the Ab- as I'm sitting in my friend the albatross. <laughs> <laughs> but most importantly, where we all actually get back to our heritage, and yeah. that is 
you know, to make disciples of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's the Great Commission. Yeah. That's what I believe that our church, I would love for our church to be a well-oiled machine where we go make disciples, you know, teaching them all that Jesus taught, and then yeah. going out and, uh, in, in, uh, as Margie said in, in a sermon that she gave when I was on vacation, passing the apostolic keys to the next generation. Yeah. That's what I like to see um, Amarillo as. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. There you go. Well, thank you very much, Robert, uh, for being on the show with us. Um, I had the pleasure of being out there with y'all a couple of weeks ago um, for to, work, to work on the, the streaming side of things. But uh, I, I see a lot of hope in, in, in church starts like yours, in particular for that focus that y'all have of we all want to be here and we all want to go do something. And when a really focused group of people led by the Holy Spirit come together, to me, that is often when we as a faith, when we as a people, when we as a thing called church are at our best. If you have feedback for this show or if you have thoughts that you need to share I will screen them ahead of time, but uh, we would love for that to be a part of the show as well. You can email us, um, thegoodnessofgodpod at gmail.com. Thegoodnessofgodpod at gmail.com. Uh, this show and everything else we do here in the Media Lab is a product of Servants of Christ United Methodist Parish, uh, deep in the heart of Southeast Houston, and is made possible uh, by a generous grant um, by the Texas Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church. We will be back uh, this time uh, next week. If you need more of us in the meantime, just servants now on just about everything that isn't the artist formerly known as Twitter, TikTok, uh, Instagram, uh, YouTube, Facebook, the internet, everywhere. Just search uh, in whatever platform you're on. Uh, go to servants now or go to servantsnow.org. Also, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.